beating the drums of World War III. It's almost as if the global elite want it to happen. Will Russia and Ukraine lead to a nuclear world war? World War III will be the event that leads the world into a fully functioning world government and eventually the Antichrist. And we'll analyze these events from a prophetic perspective on this edition of End of the Age. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. And I'm happy to be back here at the desk live. Uh, We've been traveling quite a bit. We went to Israel for a couple weeks. Then we went to Orlando for a big um, international convention down there. We had between 15 and 20,000 people at the convention. But we're back here in the office in Dallas, and I'm very thankful to be here with you today. Now, we're, we're talking about World War III. Obviously, the gravity of that uh, prophecy is just immense. I, this is one of the prophecies, like I've said, I really don't even like talking about this prophecy because of the amount of casualties that will result, but we need to talk about it. I have been asked the question many times, what is really going on with the Russia-Ukraine conflict? And in a situation like this, we always like to step back and look at the big picture. What's really going on here? Because if you understand some of these things and what's going on behind the scenes sometimes, I mean, who knows but what the world government is behind this and that the United States, Russia, and Ukraine isn't working together. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going on. But I always like to look at every avenue to try to figure out, hey, is this a prophetic fulfillment? What's going on here? What what should I be addressing on the radio and on television? So I look at everything through a prophetic lens. So I want to go through a few things here, a few um, observations. First, we know scripturally that Russia and Europe will be in complete alliance in the end time. And therefore, it is highly unlikely that they will be destroyed by a nuclear war. Okay, now you you understand that uh, uh, that, um, Vladimir Putin is threatening nuclear, uh, shooting off nuclear weapons and things like that. But because of what we know scripturally, it's highly unlikely that he's going to destroy Europe. Because we know that they will be in alliance in the end time. Second... Scripture tells us that World War III must come from the Euphrates River region, not from Russia, Ukraine. Third, the goal of global elites is and always has been world government. And they need a crisis to get the individual nations to yield their sovereignty to a world governing body. You say, will that be Russia, Ukraine? I don't think so. But World War III is coming. Fourth, 
the Russia-Ukraine conflict reveals the current world government is powerless in its ability to prevent war, and that's the very reason that many of the nations signed the United Nations Charter in an effort to, the cry for peace was so immense after World War II, many of them yielded up a lot of their sovereignty to have a world governing body. But it hasn't helped. The United Nations has been powerless. There have been many wars and, and uh, battles and conflicts that the United Nations hasn't been able to stop. Fifth, many are now claiming that it is the lack of a true world government that forces nation states to go to war to settle their conflicts. And sixth, World War III is coming, and we are seeing the stage set for that conflict in the very near future, and World War III will result in the world yielding their sovereignty to the world government and set the stage for the rise of the Antichrist. And then seventh, again, looking at this from every perspective here, the Europe will be the power base of the Antichrist in the end time. So for Russia to annihilate that with, with nuclear weapons, very, very, very unlikely. So I wanted to cover all of these points scripturally, get into the news and see what's going on uh, to show you how I come up with all of these and how I'm looking at this Russia-Ukraine situation. Number one, again, Russia and Europe will be in complete alliance in the end time and not destroyed by a nuclear war. So, Ezekiel 38, verses 3 through 4, the Bible says, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords." And we're talking about Russia here at this point, but then it goes into verse 5 and 6. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shields and helmet. Gomer and all of his bands, and the house of Togarma, and the north quarters, and all of his bands, and many people with thee. So, in the end time, we're not there yet. This is the Battle of Armageddon. This is what this is describing here. So the Russian bear is going to lead the attack. Ezekiel describes this future attack on Israel by Gog and Magog, which is Russia, and the mainly Islamic countries of Persia, which would be um, Iran and uh, portions of northern Iraq and Afghanistan. Now these will be coming down against Israel in alliance at the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, Kush, which would be uh, Ethiopia, Sudan, Put, Libya, and possibly Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. Gomer, which is Eastern Europe. So, Eastern Europe and Russia will be coming down against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. And the House of Togarma, which would be uh, Turkey and Armenia. So, you know, um, and if you look at the news, Turkey has been until recently an ally of Israel, but obviously today Islam has again become an increasing influence there. However, one of the things I want you to understand here, Gomer, Eastern Europe, Gog and Magog, Russia, they're in complete alliance with each other, coming down against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. 
So they're not going to, Russia's not going to destroy all of Eastern Europe with nuclear weapons and NATO and Europe. It's just, they're going to have, they're going to be in alliance, these nations, and they will at least be able to have a force that will come together as like a NATO type force down against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. So if you look at it, it doesn't show them scripturally annihilating each other with nuclear weapons, and or at least Russia annihilating Eastern Europe. So when we look at this Russia-Ukraine thing, looking at it from all angles here, and trying to get a good perspective on what's going on, and again, we're looking at everything through a prophetic perspective. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to endtime.com slash future or call 800 endtime. That's 800-363-8463. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills. But God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV. And now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the end time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we love you. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME. Or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. Welcome back, everybody. And we're going to get back into the Russia-Ukraine situation here in just a moment. But I have a quick announcement. I'll be in Bremen, Georgia This coming weekend, that's Saturday, October 15th, and Sunday, October 16th. Saturday, we'll be at um, the Sanctuary Pentecostals of West Georgia on 240 Tallapoosa Street E, and that's from 7 to 9 Saturday evening. I'll be teaching the Antichrist Socialistic Kingdom Sunday morning, or I should say Sunday afternoon from 4.15 to 6.15 p.m. I'll be doing Breaking Prophetic Fulfillments. It's kind of a unique time there. We did that last year, and there was actually a ton of people showed up. So looking forward to a great crowd this year. Uh, We're coming out of um, COVID, and the attendance to our conferences has been awesome. So thank you very much for that. But again, we'll be in Bremen, Georgia. The Sanctuary is a Pentecostal of West Georgia, 240 Tallapoosa Street E. 
and if you want to get uh, all of the information, it's at um, endtime.com. Go to events and then the conferences tab. All the information, maps, phone numbers, everything is there to get you out to the conference this weekend. My wife, uh, my wife Jana, and I will be there looking forward to a great time. Now, the, when we get back to this Russia-Ukraine, Russia and Europe will be in complete alliance in the end time. I gave you one proof, Ezekiel chapter 38. Gog and Magog and Gomer, Eastern Europe, coming down against Israel to battle in the end time, in alliance. Also, 650 years before John wrote the book of Revelation, the prophet Daniel was given a vision of four beasts that represented kingdoms or nations that would exist at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those four beasts, described in Daniel 7, 4-7, through 7, and the modern nations they symbolize are a lion with eagle's wings, or Great Britain and the United States, a bear, Russia, the four-headed leopard, Germany, and the ten-horned beast, which would be the reborn Holy Roman Empire or the current European Union. So in Revelation um, 13, John uses the same symbols of nations to describe the end-time world government. In John's account, those four separate nations in Daniel 7 have federalized into one large global governing body. John said, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, I saw a singular beast rise up out of the sea. He had seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns, which would be the European Union, were ten crowns. Upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And this world governing beast that John saw had the body of the leopard, Germany, feet as the feet of the bear, Russia, again, in complete alliance with each other, mouth of the mouth of the lion, Great Britain, the dragon uh, gave him its seat, power, and great authority. That's Revelation 13, 1 through 2. So this is a 2,000-year-old prophecy of the world government that is currently being established. Well, you have the... You have the um, body of the leopard, the feet of the bear, the mouth of the lion, and the ten horns of the ten horn kingdom. So Europe, the European Union, uh, and more specifically Germany, Great Britain, Russia, they're all involved in this one big world governing body in alliance with each other. Now you say, well, they're all part of the United Nations now, but look at what's happening. They're all going to be. Remember Ezekiel 38. Eastern Europe and Russia will be involved in the armies that come down together against Israel in the end. So they're going to be in complete alliance with each other when all is said and done. So when we look at the Russia-Ukraine situation, to say, oh, Russia is going to annihilate Eastern Europe and uh, the NATO force. No, that's not, doesn't. I mean, according to Scripture, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, uh, and I'm telling you this because, I'm reporting on this because I've had many people ask me, what about Russia? It looks like Russia is going to annihilate Europe with nuclear weapons. I don't see that from Scripture. Okay. Now, the number two point I made. Scripture tells us that World War III must come from the Euphrates River region. The Bible tells us where World War III is going to begin. It's found in the sixth trumpet prophecy of Revelation 9 Verse 13 through 15 says, And the sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. 
the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour a day, a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. These angels who are bound in the Euphrates River, the Bible tells us these angels that, that angels are ministering spirits to us who are the heirs of salvation. But these four angels referred to in Revelation 9.14, they're not ministering angels. They're part of the one-third portion of angels who rebelled with Satan, and they are evil spirits. And we know that these angels are evil because the verse says that they are bound. And when they are loosed, their assignment is to kill one-third of mankind. But what's their origin? The scripture says they were bound in the great river Euphrates. Have you ever wondered why angels are even mentioned here? The Bible tells us, again, angels are spirits. In the book of Daniel, Daniel was praying and fasting and seeking God's face for 21 days. Well, then an angel finally shows up on the, on, and he says, Hey, Daniel, I heard you the first day you prayed. But the prince of Persia, which would be uh, modern-day Iran, the prince of Persia withstood me. And remember at that time, there was the, um, the Medes and the Persians were ruling uh, that, the world empire at that time. They had, they had defeated Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian kingdom. Well, the prince of Persia, the angel said, withstood me, and now I go to fight against the prince of Greece, which was coming after the Medes and the Persians with Alexander and the Great and his gang. So, again, Persia was ruling the world at the time. The Grecian Empire came afterward and conquered the Persian Empire. But there were angels that were bound to these nations. Well, Daniel was praying, but there were spiritual forces at work. He'd set them in, at work and in motion as he was praying and fasting. So the prince of Persia stopped the angel until Daniel overpowered him in his prayers. And the angel then said, well, hey, hey, he would go fight against the prince of Greece. That would be um, Daniel chapter 10, uh, verses 13, and I think down through maybe 20. According to this passage, it appears that nations have or are bound to their own, have their own angels. So, four nations house the Euphrates River. Euphrates River starts in Turkey flows down through Syria, enters into the northern boundary of Iraq, and then empties into the Persian Gulf. And the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers meet to form the last about a 50 or 60 mile border between Iraq and Iran. So, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. Could the angels mentioned in Revelation 9.13 be the four angels of the Euphrates? Turkey, uh, again, the angel of Turkey, the angel of Syria the angel of Iraq and the angel of Iran, just like the, the angel of uh, Persia and um, Greece. So, the, you know, it appears to make perfect sense here if, if you look at the prophecies and understand them. Now, 60, 60 to 70% of the Euphrates River is in Iraq, which is where the United States has had troops stationed for years now. And war has been raging up and down the Euphrates River almost continually since, uh, uh, really since America invaded Iraq back in 2003. 
And it is this area where the Bible says World War III will originate. And it has, it, if it has not already begun, many believe that it has, it appears as if we are on the brink of this great war. And because 2 billion people are prophesied to die, or I should say 2.6 or 7 billion now, to die due to this war, it's doubtful that the war will be contained in that area, but it will originate there and then spread out. Now, Russia could be drawn in on that. Certainly China, which are both allies of Iran. Um, and you know, But I don't know if it will be Iran. Again, when I talk about this stuff, I'm speculating. I simply, because of the situation in the Middle East, and many believe that uh, because of Iran's the number one state sponsor of terrorism on the planet, they're trying to get a nuclear weapon, that Israel and the United States would be willing to go to war to keep that from happening. Well, if we go to war with Iran, here comes Russia and China, folks. And then you're talking about World War III tomorrow morning. And the Bible says a 200 million men army will participate in that war. And certainly China has the manpower to field an army of 200 million soldiers. Now, the number three point that I want to make to all of this is that, and again, I'm looking at this Russia-Ukraine situation from every angle. The goal of the global elites is world government, and they need a crisis to get the individual nations to yield up their sovereignty to a world governing body. And you understand that globalism is simply belief that the nation state is now obsolete and that the world must move into a system of global governance. And that's clearly stated that globalists believe national borders should be dissolved into a one-world government, that a one-world government should be instituted. Now, many believe that the world government, that the lack of world government is the reason that uh, Russia and Ukraine or nation states as a whole are uh, coming together, they're just uh, going to war to settle their differences, i.e. Russia, Ukraine. They say if there was a fully functioning world governing body, this wouldn't be happening. And so they believe, many believe that the nation state has, um, it's now obsolete. The, the globalists, or at least this is what they're preaching, the nation state's obsolete and that we should create a global state that answers to a world governing body. If you remember, um, we, we start, talk about Strobe Talbot a lot, but he wrote an article, the birth, of a global, of the birth of the Global Nation, back in Time Magazine in July of um, 92, and he actually stated, within the next 100 years, nationhood as we know it will be obsolete. The nation states, obsolete, and all states will recognize a single global authority. Now, he's not from China, he's not from Russia, he's not from North Korea, he's from the United States of America. And of course, two years later, Strobe Talbot was um, hired by President Bill Clinton to serve as Deputy Secretary of State, where of course he pushed his global agenda until the end of the Clinton presidency in 2001. Bill Clinton was a liberal internationalist or a globalist, so of course he's going to hire somebody like Strobe Talbot 
And this emerging world government has been promoted for decades. But they realize that the current um, United Nations, the seat of world government, is powerless to stop a to stop conflict, which again was why most nations signed on to the UN Charter to begin with. Now, l- let me give you a history behind the United Nations very quickly, because you need to understand wh- what length these people are willing to go to and the, the origin of it to understand what's going on today and why they want this fully functioning world governing body. The United Nations is the only structure for one world government in the earth today. It was not created to manage the United States or to govern Russia or Israel or South America. No. It was created to be a one world governing body. What's the origin of the United Nations? Well, after World War I. Now again, think about the crises that they're using for world government. It's got to be a global crisis, right? In other words... If it was just Russia and Ukraine, then maybe uh, some nations could get together and go fight like they did World War II. But this is not what they want. They know they have to have a global crisis to create a global government. So, what do we have? World War I. It was also called the Great War. It was the worst war that the world has ever known. Prior to World War I, there had never been a war that even come close to the number of casualties. I mean, World War I ended in um, just over 8 million dead. And the world said, hey, never again. And it was from that, it was from this idea, this, this cry for peace, that the idea to establish a structure for global security was birthed. Hey, because of this world war, we need a world government. And the structure originally after World War I was the League of Nations. Well, the League of Nations was formed in an attempt to assure another world war would never be fought. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson, he championed the idea, but the the U.S. Congress, they hesitated at that idea because uh, of being part of a world government. They read the fine print back then. They, They obviously don't now. And they didn't want to surrender the U.S. sovereignty, so they voted against this League of Nations. Well, because Woodrow Wilson couldn't carry his own government into the League of Nations, it quickly dismantled and fell apart. And that was the first effort towards a world government because of a world war. But it didn't end there. You're going to see that there was another effort, the second effort... And then eventually, I'll show you that there's going to be a third effort according to Bible prophecy. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end-time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. 
When you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99, you can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. So the answer to World War II, uh, World War I, world government. Because it's a global conflict, so we need a world government to manage all this. However, it failed. Well, you say, well, that was out the end of that, right? No, not quite. Twenty years later, World War II ended with, what, uh, just over 50 million killed. And the cry for world security became louder and deafening than ever before. And Franklin D. Roosevelt believed in a world government. Remember, he was, the, he was responsible for the term New World Order being printed on the dollar bill back in uh, 1935, before World War II ever started. Well, at the end of World War II, Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt, they came together at Yalta in an effort to end all war. But what 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 they really wanted was world government. So, it was during these meetings that the charter for the concept of a global government structure, the United Nations, was written. Obviously, one key man was responsible for the formation of the United Nations, Alger Hiss. He organized the American delegation and served as the acting Secretary General at the first UN meeting, and he also served as the steering um, and executive committees and was charged with the responsibility of actually writing the charter. Well, after he played such a dominant role in developing the charter for the United Nations and in the founding conference, three years later, he was convicted in U.S. courts of lying to cover his activities as a communist spy. Not one word of that charter has ever changed, by the way. They still function under the charter that Alger Hiss was the architect of. Now, you wonder why the United Nations is so socialistic? Well, that's why. Previous to this, Alger Hiss accompanied um, Franklin D. Roosevelt to, Yalt, to the Yalta Conference, where the, the, um, the uh, carving up of Yalta, or I'm, so, I'm sorry, the carving up of Europe by the United States and Russia took place. And at that time, Roosevelt was a dying man, and so Alger Hiss carried the bulk of the negotiations for America as a communist spy, by the way. Now, 
What Russia did not win on the battlefield, she won at the peace table because Alger Hiss, her own agent, was assisting Roosevelt with the negotiations. And that explains why Russia received so many concessions at the peace table at the end of World War II. And you, if look at your history, you'll see Russia got enormous amounts of Eastern Europe became part of the USSR. Well, Hiss designed the United Nations to be a global union of socialist republics. Remember the emblem of the Soviet Union? It was a globe with two sheaves of wheat around it and the hammer and sickle superimposed. And the emblem of the United Nations is also a globe with two olive branches around it. And when the insignia of the United Nations were designed, obviously the hammer and sickle was left off because that would have been too obvious, right? Of what they were really doing here. However, Alger Hiss designed the structure of the United Nations to ultimately become a world socialist government. And Hiss went to prison, but the United Nations continued to be a structure for the one world government system. However, it does not have the teeth or the enforcement methods that the globalist elite want. They want a dictatorial situation with the United Nations, and they don't have that. But guess what's coming? World War Three. Now, that's what the Bible says is going to happen, and that will be the entrance ramp that, uh, for the Antichrist. Now, the fourth point I want to bring up about this Russia-Ukraine situation is that the Russia-Ukraine conflict, it reveals the current world government is powerless in its, ab- in, in its ability to prevent war. And that's the very reason that most of these nations signed the charter. And many are now claiming, again, that it is the lack of a true world government that forces nation states to go to war to settle their conflicts. There is a, uh, a um, forum, the Effective Altruistic Forum. They, pu- they stated, um, how likely is World War III? Now listen at this perspective, and I'm, and I'm quoting just a couple excerpts here. Considering how much the world has changed in the last couple of centuries, it might seem pretty unlikely that the risk of war has been constant. But it may also be useful to consider several factors which haven't changed. The nation-state is still the dominant unit of international politics. For example, Earth is a mosaic of states that act basically independently. Now, they have a United Nations, but people still act on their own. They don't have the the teeth, the grip, the noose around people's neck like they want. And this, this uh, news source goes on to say, or this forum, major wars before World War II were fought between nations, each trying to defend or advance what they consider to be their national self-interest. Today, states still act, i.e. Russia, Ukraine, states still act in the absence of a strong world government this is what the, the um, seeds that they're sowing, they're, they're weaving this into to all their narrative. In the absence of a strong world government that can adjudicate disputes and enforce agreements. Professor Bear F. Bramoller, he's the, a, with the Department of Public, Political Science from, with The Ohio State University. He thinks the basic cause of war is competing international orders. 
And the author of this forum states, I think the primary consideration would simply be that we still live in a world of autonomous nation states acting and competing in the absence of a world government. Again, many people think we've got to have a world government to never have not only just wars anymore, but world war ever again. It's on the mind of a lot of people, and we know that a world war is coming. Now, the Middle East Monitor, they state there will be no World War III. They're speculating, but they say this, the lack of a strong world government leads to the states pursuing their interest through power struggle. Many people are saying we've got to have a world government. Because of the lack of that, war continues. The United Nations has not been able, even though that was the cry after World War II, that we, we, to end war, we've got to have a world government, this United Nations, where people rather than, when nation states rather than going to war to settle their disputes, they would go to the, League, the, the United Nations and just talk it out. But that's simply not the case, right? We've had many wars, the Vietnam War, many uh, wars, Iraq, and many different, time, many different things, and skirmishes and battles since World War II. The United Nations has been powerless to stop that. The American military news said that Russia proves that the UN is powerless and uh, as it vetoes its uh, resolution against itself. Many people are trying to do away with the UN Security Council veto power because the, Russia can pretty much do what she wants, and if the United Nations set, uh, issues a resolution, she can veto it. She's one of the five victor nations of World War II. In, in this article, it states that last month, four eastern Ukrainian territories, Donetsk, Luhansk, Khorshan, and Zaporizhia, held referendums on whether or not to be included as part of Russia. The elections were held in areas controlled or partially controlled by Russian occupying forces and have been denounced by the United States and other Western nations as sham elections. Back on uh, Friday, September the 30th, Russian President Vladimir Putin signed these so-called accession treaties signifying the results of the elections for Russia and declared these four territories part of Russia. On that same day, Vladimir Putin declared that the new Russian territories, um, U.S. advanced a resolution in the 15-member U.N. Security Council, United Nations Security Council, that would have declared the referenda invalid. However, the U.S. introduced the measure with Albania and garnered the support of 10 member nations. But, remember the veto power, Russia is a permanent member of that 15-member UN body and had the power to veto the measure, and they did it immediately. And the five permanent UN Security Council members they are um, the United States, China, France, Russia, and the United Kingdom. And if, if any permanent member vetoes a measure, then it's void. So they didn't like that, so they just voided it. And thus rendering the United Nations, the UN Security Council, powerless. Well, Cleveland.com says that the United Nations NATO reveal themselves to be toothless in the face of Russian aggression. So, the United Nations, the global elites, they don't like that. They don't like being powerless or toothless. There, I've, I've read many articles where the current Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, said that 
he's upset because the United Nations does not have the teeth or the enforcement methods to be able to dictate what nations should do. Rather, they can only just suggest or meet at, meet at the United Nations. And everybody gives these awesome, wonderful, fabulous speeches, but it means zero. And the global elites don't like that. And so, what do they need, folks? They need a bigger crisis. World War I wasn't big enough. World War II wasn't big enough because the nations weren't reeled back on their heels enough to where they would yield up all their sovereignty. But the Bible says, and this is my fifth point, World War III is coming. And we are seeing the stage set for that very conflict in the very near future. And this will be the entrance ramp for the Antichrist. The Bible prophesies that there will be a third world war. Revelation 9.15. Let's go to the New Living Translation. It says, Then the four angels who have been prepared for an hour this, for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on the earth. Not just one-third of the armies that are uh, participating in the war, but a third of all the world's population. And it is shocking to read that this many people will die. I understand that. I don't want, I wish it wasn't going to happen. But God knows the end from the beginning. He's already seen all these things play out. And I don't pray that this war doesn't happen. I don't pray that because I know it's going to happen. There's no sense in that. What I pray for is that we can save as many people as we can before it does happen. That's what I pray for. And that God will put a hedge of protection uh, around as many people as He can. Um, and that we can save people around the world. Because the Bible says it is going to happen. There's not a one-tenth of one percent chance that it won't happen. It's going to happen. The King James Version of, the, of the, this passage says, "...to slay the third part of men." The New King James Version says to kill a third of mankind. The Good News Translation says to kill a third of the human race. So if you check, you know, 15 or 20 different translations, I think I may have 20 on my computer, on my app, you can correctly conclude that this is exactly what this passage says. One third of all of humanity will die in World War III. Now, if you consider how many di- people died at the, at, at, in past wars, at the end of World War I, again, 1914 to 1918, over 8 million dead. Prior to the 20th century, never been a war that even come close to that many casualties. And they said, well, this can never happen again. And to keep them from reoccurring, again, League of Nations. So we'll get more into it when we get back on the other side of the break. World government, world war. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. 
We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. So again, 20 years after World War I, World War II begins. At the end of that war, 52 million people were dead, and as a result, the second attempt at the United Nations was formed. Because this is the, this is the main point, though, is that world government is always the answer to world war. And the problem is, is that after World War III, the Bible says we will move into a fully functioning world governing body. Imagine the, imagine the nations of the world at that point after one-third of the world's population is destroyed. And people will be yield, nations will be willing to yield up their armies and their armaments and force the people in their nations to be gun-free zones. Because the, and the, the United Nations or the world government at that time will say, hey, you yield up all of your world governing your armies and we'll have one uh, world government army and that's going to be the um, that's going to be the way that we'll run it. And because that's the only way we can have peace. There will be your your armies will be under the power of the world governing body. According to Revelation 9:15, the problem has not been fixed up until this point. Obviously, there's going to be another great war. The Bible prophesies one third of all humanity will die, and that's going to be um, two point what two point seven billion now. That's about forty times World War II. Everybody, we don't know exactly when it will happen, but it's going to happen. And it's going to be worse than any war that's ever happened. And, and you know, in the approximate 6,000 years of human history, no war has ever ended with several uh, million casualties. And yet a, in a single century, two world wars resulted in 8.2 million and 52 million dead. And again, I think the United Nations says that in... October or November this year will reach 8 billion population on the earth. And according to Bible prophecy, a third of, war, a third of the um, world war that's coming, the third world war is coming, is going to end in over close to 2.7, 2.8 billion dead. Now, who's going to be involved in the war? Well, Mao Zedong, the late leader of China, he boasted that he could fill an army of 200 million and there's a, um, a C, according to the CIA uh, World Factbook, China currently has just over th- a, um, what, a 300 million uh, military-aged men and women. 300 million. Revelation 9.16 says the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, or 200 million. And I heard the number of them. So it's no coincidence that this godless, godless atheist man, Mao Zedong, would say the very number of his army, that's the same number of the army found in Revelation 9.16. You say, well, does that mean for sure that China was going to be part of this end-time war? It's highly likely. However, there are two other entities that could actually field an army of 200 million men. Uh, the Islamic 
world has a population of uh, 1.8, 1.9 billion. India has about 1.4 billion in population. So any of these three entities could feel, fulfill this prophecy. And we have to consider the Islamic faction uh, in this prophecy since this war emanates from the Euphrates River region, which is at this time controlled by Islamic nations. And you can be very sure that the United States is going to be involved in this war because America has had a military presence up and down the Euphrates River for decades. Doug Norvell was telling me the other day that we just built a huge military base just on the other side of the Euphrates River in northeast Syria. The United States did. The United States also has the nuclear firepower to kill 2.7-2.8 billion people. And so you say, well, what's the timing of this war? Well, if you look at the three woes in the book of Revelation, the magnitude of the fifth trumpet, the sixth trumpet, and the seventh trumpet are so extreme that God chose to name them the three woes. And a very interesting passage regarding the seven trumpets found in Revelation 8.13, immediately after the prophecy of the fourth trumpet, says, I beheld an angel flying through the midst of heaven, said with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. The very next passage, Revelation 9, 1 through 11, foretells the fifth trumpet. Revelation 9, 12 states, One woe, the fifth trumpet is passed, and behold, there are two woes more hereafter. Immediately after this, Revelation 9, 13 through 21 proceeds, um, proceeds to describe the sixth trumpet war. And then when you go immediately into Revelation 10, it reveals the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Revelation 11, 1 through 13 reveals events that transpire during the final three and one half years of Great Tribulation. There's only three and one half years of, of Great Tribulation. And then Revelation 11, 14 says, Hey, the second woe, or the sixth trumpet, that's past. Behold, the third woe comes quickly. And then Revelation eleven fifteen begins to describe the seventh trumpet, or the third woe. Um, so, some contend that the because the two woes are mentioned so closely in, in verse 14, that the sixth trumpet war happens at the very end of the three and one half years of Great Tribulation, just prior to the seventh trumpet. But is that the case? The Bible says that it will happen sometime before the Great Tribulation. Remember, the sixth trumpet happens in chapter 9. So it happens before the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation begins three and one half years before the, great, the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Daniel 7.25, um, it tells us that explicitly. It says the little horn, the Antichrist, will make war against the saints for time, times, and half a times. A time, is, a time is one year, times is two years, and half a time is half a year. And then Revelation 13.5 says the same thing, but, but it states the time in a different way. It says that power was given unto the Antichrist, unto him who is the Antichrist, to continue 42 months. And he makes war against the saints and prevails against them. So time, times, and half a time from Daniel 7.25 is referring to the same amount of time as the 42 months 
referenced in Revelation 13.5. And additionally, uh, jump back to uh, Revelation 12.6. says the dragon makes war against the woman, Israel, for 1260 days. 1260 days, same amount of time, three and a half years. Jesus said the great tribulation would begin at the abomination of desolation. And that the Jews living in Judea would have to flee because there would be greater tribulation than has ever been before or ever will be again. Daniel 9.27 says the abomination happens halfway through the final seven years. Halfway through the final seven years is three and one half years. So the first half of the final seven is three and one half years. And that period is the build up to the final three and one half years, which is the great tribulation. Now, we know that World War III will happen before the Great Tribulation because of what is revealed from the prophecy about the Sixth Trumpet War found in Revelation 9, 13 through 20. And then Revelation 10 talks about the beginning of the Great Tribulation when the angel stands one foot on the land, one foot on the sea and declares that delay should be no longer. You've got to look at many translations of the Bible to figure all that out. And then Revelation 10, 1 and 2 says the following. Um... I saw a mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, his feet like as a pillar of fire. And he had a little book uh, open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, right foot on the land. Then Revelation 10, 5 through 6, it continues, and I'm in the um, New King James Version. It says, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and... Swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. Again, that's the New King James Version. If you're going to the King James Version, it says that there should be time no longer. But Revelation 11 then goes on to talk about another three and one half years. So we know that's not the end of time, right? And then later... Revelation then goes on to mention another thousand years. So what does the Bible say when it means in, um, in when it says in Revelation 10:6 in all translations that there should be no time, that there should be time no longer? It simply means that we've reached a crossroads and there's it's a turning point here. And then Revelation 11 reveals the prophecy about measuring the temple uh, and says that the Gentiles will tread down the temple for 42 months. The angel with one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, declares that delay should be no longer. Then you go into Revelation 11 where it talks about the uh, temple will be shared and, for, and the, the um, outer court will be trodden down the Gentiles for 42 months. And then the two witnesses throughout um, for 1260 days. And that ends at the seventh trumpet or at the time of the rapture. They're killed, laying in the streets for three and a half days. And then they're risen, and that's the rapture. So, the, it proves conclusively that the Sixth Trumpet War occurs before the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist comes into power at the time of the Abomination of Desolation, which begins the Tribulation. So, we know that World War III will be the entrance ramp for the Antichrist because, remember, I went through World War I. What was the answer of the international community to World War I? The League of Nations, a world government. That failed. Then we have World War II. What was the answer of the international community to World War II? World government, the, League, the United Nations. 
Remember, they don't have the teeth. They're, they're powerless to prevent a war. So guess what? They know that they need a bigger crisis so all the nations would yield up their sovereignty to a world-governing body. That's the goal here. So, guess what's coming? The Bible says World War III is coming. And it will happen before the Great Tribulation. Once that war happens, we will move into a fully functioning world-governing body where it's not, let's just meet at the UN General Assembly and all suggest what we should do to handle the world's problems. It will be a dictatorial situation. And there will come a time when a true despot will rule the world government. That will be the Antichrist. The world, World War III will be the entrance ramp for the world government. This leader, uh, the leading politician from Europe, will eventually usurp authority over this fully functioning world governing body. And he will be revealed at the time of the abomination of desolation. That's the catalyst that will launch us into the final three and one half years of the Great Tribulation, ending at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Battle of Armageddon. And so, I hope I've answered many of these questions for you about the Russia-Ukraine situation. Again, from all we can tell in the Bible about them being the Russia and Eastern Europe and Europe as a whole being in alliance with each other, working together in the world government and leading the charge and coming down against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, that they will be in alliance with each other in the end time. Remember the world governing beast in Revelation 13. Remember Ezekiel 38, all the nations that will come down against Israel to battle. And then remember where the world war happens, where it emanates from, the Euphrates River region, and many other things. That's why when we get questions like this, we could, we've got to go to the Bible because the Bible provides answers for these things. If you can step back outside the situation and look at it from many different angles, it helps us to understand what's coming in the near future. And so I hope we've helped you to understand kind of from a biblical perspective the Russia-Ukraine situation and what's going to happen in the near future. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com.